Hey there, my name is Ben Ramos, and you are listening to the Rise Church Podcast. We are a church in southeastern Idaho that is dedicated to sound biblical theology coupled with the authentic power of God. Our true hope is that this podcast would help you to continue to grow and taking steps in your relationship with Jesus. I hope you feel empowered today. I hope you feel encouraged today, and I hope you feel uplifted. God bless you. Enjoy the podcast. Let's get into the Word of God a little bit, getting through the Gospel of Mark. I want to read this together, and then we'll, we'll jump, jump in. We're going to start in Mark 3.20, and we've got about 15 verses, so hang in there as we read through it. it. says, Then he, Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. Someone say, that's a bad day. Well, yeah, it's kind of a bad day. It's probably a good day, too, because ministry's taking place. But, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, well, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Verse 31, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent in to him to have him called. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're seeking you. And he answered them, who are my my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mothers and brothers, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. And this is the word of the Lord. So, Father God, as we come before you, as we continue to worship here this morning and now enter into worship by the studying of your scriptures, we just believe, Holy Spirit, that you are who the word of God says you are, that you are the best teacher there is. And so we invite you right now, God, to teach us. We step into this place of moldability. We lay our whole lives before you, and we say, have it all. Would you teach us this morning? Would you shape us this morning? Would you help us to look more and more like Jesus this morning? And if that is your desire, we say, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So in the past several weeks, we've worked our way through Uh, the second and now third chapter of Mark, and we've been seeing an increase of opposition. 
right? These people are coming against Jesus. They're pointing out his flaws. Go get them. Anyways, squirrel or car, the, the Pharisees begin this mass scrutiny, right? They're pointing out in Jesus' ministry, look, you're doing this wrong. Look, this is not according to our customs. This is not according to our ways. And ultimately, they're just picking apart the way that Jesus is discipling people and leading people, saying, this doesn't look like our religious set of rules. This doesn't fit into these, these rules. And we're losing control. And our control is, is important. So the religious people say. Last week, Johnny did just an excellent job. I'm so blessed. Did you guys, oh, so good, Johnny. Thank you so much for, for sharing with us. She was talking about, yeah, give her a clap. I mean, if we're going to go in, let's go in. I know the, the Pentecostal thing is like we'll clap off beat and we'll clap randomly. So, uh, so there's that. Um, but she talked about the crowd and the disciples and how the crowd is, it's, it's a good place to start out with. This, the crowd is the place where we often will hear Jesus, will be exposed to Jesus, but the invitation to all of us is to not just go to the Jesus things and attend the Jesus things, but to actually move from the crowd into being a disciple where we've dedicated our lives to following Jesus and dedicated him as our Lord of our life. That means the entirety of our life. So moving from the crowd to an active disciple. And today, in a somewhat shocking display, Jesus takes this concept of discipleship. So we looked at crowd to disciple, and Jesus takes this concept of discipleship even, even deeper, it makes it makes it even more important for us. And so the title of the message this morning, as we're in part 12 of this series, working through Mark, is called Picking Teams. And here's the illustration that I was thinking of, just to illustrate the principle of what Jesus is doing and teaching through through this passage. I was brought back to my, my childhood and uh, brought back to the, the neighborhood that I grew up in. So if we could pull up our first video, please. As you can see, the light green towards the top of the video, that's Snohomish, that is the valley uh, in Washington where I, I grew up. And as we zoom in here, we go into the little neighborhood that I grew up in called Silver Firs. This little house here on the top right in this cul-de-sac is the house that I grew up in, right in that cul-de-sac. And we had so many different friends in, in this area and on this street. And what we would do on our days off, if anybody of you guys watched the, the preview that we posted on social media for, for today, is that we would get together and we would play games. We would play lots of different sports games. And so if we could go to the, the next video, this brings us into our cul-de-sac. This is my house here on the left. You swing around and see all the different houses here. And then there's a house straight away that we're going to show. I'm going to put the mouse on it here in just a moment, right there. And so we would stand on this side of the cul-de-sac, and I would have my bats, and my brother would have the ball. We would often play with tennis balls, and he would throw the tennis ball, and I would hit the ball. And one of the things we really loved about watching baseball, I don't know if any of you, any baseball fans? I was expecting that a little bit louder there. Okay, all right, all right. I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were in here. So 
I believe it's Fenway Park uh, in, in Boston. Is that the right park? Do you, okay. And I think that's the one that has the, uh, the green monster. Is that, in, in left field, it's this giant, this, this giant wall. Um, and so when people would hit you know, what should be a home run in other, other places, uh, it would hit the, the big wall. Well, we treated this house as the green monster. And what you didn't see on that picture is right kind of in the center of this house is this giant window, and it's their dining room. And so that was like the target. And so, I mean, we'd get up early in the morning, and Andrew, my brother, would pitch the ball, and we'd hit it, and I'm like, ah, oh, I missed it. I got it over the house. Okay. And he gets to be Ken Griffey Jr., and so he, he really worked on his stance, the whole, the whole thing. <laughs> He swings and boom, and just the loudest bang as they're sitting there eating their breakfast and just wake up call, right? And so this was one of our favorite things to do. And as we're, we're, we're doing this, we're waiting for our friends to show up. Our friends end up showing up and then, well, we get kicked out of our little cul-de-sac. And so we would go to our next video. So there's our house there on the corner and we are going to go down the street we're going to turn the corner here, and just two houses down is DJ's house. DJ's house was kind of cool because we could set up and play baseball across the road there. And back up against this left-hand side of the picture is a fence. And so we would try and hit it over that, that fence, and that would be the, the new baseball area. But, again, the cars coming back and down the street, they would be really upset uh, at us, like, hitting the ball at their windows as they're driving by. I'm like, come on, guys, we're just trying to have fun. Um, and so they would kick us out to the next spot if you would pull, pull the next video. So uh, logically, we would then move on to the elementary school across the street. You see that big baseball diamond? <laughs> Who wants to play in a baseball diamond? <laughs> and so we would go there to the baseball diamond and actually, and actually play. As we would come together, one of the things that we would do is we would pick teams. If I could just have some help, Pastor Nick, if you could come up here real quick. And Paul and Karma are going to be our, our players. And, and so here's what picking teams would look like. We'd be like, hmm, hmm. Yeah, okay, that looks like Jay Buhner. So Jay Buhner was bald. They called him bad to the bone. So Jay Buhner, you're on my team. So you're going to come over here if you could just come and stand on, on my team. Uh, and then you would pick, pick the next person. Hey, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. And so th the next thing that we would do as we have picked teams now at this point is that we would do something that would help people understand what team we were on. And so maybe it's like shirts, no shirts. You ready? Yeah, 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 yeah. The Bible says not to cause people to stumble. You know what I'm talking about? Shoot. Hey, right? All right, you guys can have a seat. Yes. So what we would be doing in that scenario is, is sometimes we'd be, you know, shirts, no shirts. Sometimes we would be like, this team wears jerseys, uh, this team doesn't wear jerseys. Or this team wears all red clothes and this team wears all, how do I not do this, like gang affiliated? Uh, yellow? Yeah, I, I don't even know. Rainbow. Is that, I don't know. Tie-dye, there you go. Right? But there was something that differentiates between the different teams. And I think what I saw Jesus doing here within the scripture today is I saw him differentiating between the different teams that he is interacting with. And I think the goal of today is going to be, all right, if I'm on team 
Jesus, someone say Team Jesus. If I'm on Team Jesus, what does it look like? Like, what, what kind of clothes am I wearing, but not like actual clothes? What, what does my life look like? What are the characteristics that makes me stand out from these other, other teams? And so that's what we're going to look at as we break down this story just a little bit. We see Jesus continuing his ministry through Galilee, and now he's directly in where he's staying in Capernaum. And upon getting home, Jesus continues to draw the crowd. Right? And there's a couple things that I noticed about this. First off, I mean, he's drawing cl- crowds uh, in such a way that uh, they don't have time for food. And again, for me, that's like a bummer. I'm like, that's, I, I, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, we should do that, like the crowd effects. Oh, yeah, good job. You guys are great at this. <laughs> and um, I was, I was just thinking about earlier, like if we think back to some of the stories that took place, uh, a few stories before this, uh, where the Pharisees are pointing fingers at Jesus, why, why aren't they fasting? And I just think in like the incredible foreknowledge of God the Father, maybe he's not directing them to fast at this time because he knows that they're actually going to be ministering to people here in a little bit and they're not going to get to food. And so they're going to eat, eat right there. I don't know. Just one of the things that goes through my mind in, in like the, the providential work of God. It's, it's really incredible when you step back and just look at all the incredible, incredible things that God, God does. I, I also recognize through this that as this crowd is forming, that we recognize all of us are called into ministry in, in some way or another, right? You know this? You are called to be a minister of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you have to wear a badge. It doesn't mean that you have to wear a, a, a cardigan sweater thing. Uh, you can wear whatever you want. You can work wherever God has you. You can live wherever God has you, but you are called to minister wherever God places you. And, and one of the things we have to recognize about a life of ministry is that there are, there are sacrifices, there are sacrifices that we have to make as we would love on other people and minister to other, other people. And so maybe, maybe something this week you could do is just consider the sacrifices that God has called you to, uh, to, to live in and to experience. Uh, the second thing that I, I really saw here, I guess this would be the third because I threw in an extra there at the, at the beginning. But uh, the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit is invited to function freely, he just draws people. This is what the Word of God says about the Holy Spirit, that he is drawing unto the Father, that he is drawing people. He's, he is convicting of sin, of righteousness, and of, of judgment. And it's kind of freeing for us to, to consider that he's the one who's drawing the crowds. We, we've got to be the people who are obviously inviting people into relationship with Jesus, inviting people into relationship with us, uh, and, and getting the word out there. But in terms of what we do as, as a church and the ministry that we have, God does the, the drawing of, of the crowd. Our responsibility is simply the, the place that Jesus puts us in and the people that God puts within our sphere. And so that is our responsibility. So as they're not getting to eat, and as the crowds are there, we see Jesus's family show up. And as we read kind of this, this passage, we recognize that one of the ways that the people in the East, East would tell these stories and the way that the Bible is written is in Eastern storytelling. And so us, we go beginning, middle, beginning, 
or beginning, middle, end, right? That's how we tell a story. Beginning, middle, end. What we see taking place here is a beginning, middle, beginning. This is a typical way of storytelling within, within the Bible. And so it goes from family, and then it goes into some other stuff, and then it goes back to family. And so as we read through this, it would be really easy just to throw out the understanding of Jesus' family within this. But the fact that Mark brings us back to his family at the end there um, causes us to really just take, take a look. And um, as Mark moves really quickly through this section and as he's teaching through it really quickly, we remember that's one of the things that Mark does in this gospel. It's like immediately, right? Constantly, on to the next thing, on to the next thing because he's trying to get us to the cross. In other gospels... In other Gospels, we, uh, like in, in Matthew, they spend a little bit more time uh, getting into um, some, some more details. And so we're also going to be jumping over to Matthew chapter 12. And so if you're taking notes, you may want to jot that down as some place for further study. But as this crowd is forming, Jesus' family shows up, and the Word of God says that they tried to seize him. They tried to grab him. They tried to stop him from ministering. Any, any, any further. And then we get on to the scribes. And um, again, excuse me, while Mark moves really quickly through uh, this interaction, we're going to get some more information from Matthew's account. But these scribes are essentially making an accusation towards Jesus, uh, saying that, yeah, we see him casting out demons, but he's only doing this by the power of this other demon named um, named Beelzebul. And so if you actually look at that name, Beelzebul, that uh, semantically, if you study the word, it finds its, um, its Hebrew identity back to the name Baal, which is a god in the Old Testament. But the normal understanding of that time period would have been basically them saying, Satan. You're, you're throwing, you're using the power of Satan here to cast out this these other, other demons. And so very clearly, we've got to just catch that this is an antichrist claim. The goal here is to take credit away from what Jesus is doing and to put it onto Satan. This is an antichrist claim. And so we see this type of spirit working throughout the scriptures in a number of, of different ways um, as, you would, as you would study that out, but it's important to note. Jesus, I love his response because he lays out just the verbal smackdown, um, exposing their, their nonsense for really what it is, saying essentially that if Satan were against himself, then his, his kingdom would, would crumble. And so that's clearly the wrong answer, right? Someone go, eh, wrong answer. Eh, wrong answer. Um, and one of the things that we can gather from this right here is that victory requires unity. Victory requires unity. And so Jesus continues to build on his defense by commenting about binding up a strong man, right? And it's this picture of uh, uh, some really big, strong guy. So maybe picture Paul uh, up here, like big, big, strong man. Um, and he has a whole bunch of precious goods, really, really precious goods, and he's got them tucked in this, in this house. And Jesus is saying, in order for people to get in and get these goods, this big, strong guy, he's got to be bound up. 
And so the, those goods can be taken out of that house. And this is the, the picture that Jesus is, is building here. Um, and we'll get into a little bit more, more details there in a bit. Jesus also communicates how there is sin and all sins will be forgiven, right? We, we understand this today as Christians, that sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, that they, it's already been done. We just have to put our faith in, in, in Jesus Christ and receive that, that forgiveness. And he's saying that there is one sin that's unforgivable, this eternal sin, and that is the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is this? Because I've actually had communication with people who have followed Jesus for years and uh, come to me and say, Ben, I, I, I said this thing the other day. I was like, uh, I was having a rough day and I said, the Holy Spirit can go kick rocks and wondered if that was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Am I just like eternally damned now because I, I, I said this? Is that what this is? No, th- this is not what Jesus is, is talking about here. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is essentially in the only one way that you cannot receive salvation is by denying the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and denying that he is convicting us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment and the truth of Jesus Christ. And so if we don't believe in the truth of Jesus Christ, then we won't be saved. And so that's essentially what is being communicated here. And then after this brief commentary, we get back into Jesus's family, and they're standing outside. They send a message inside, hey, Jesus, come see your family. And Jesus goes, uh, why? It makes this comment that's almost like, forget them. And he says, who are my mother and my brother? And then he looks at those directly around him. Who's sitting directly around him? Well, his disciples were constantly at his feet. And so he's looking at his disciples, those who have taken that step in past the crowd, and now they're drawn near at the, at the feet of, of Jesus. He looks at them and he says, this, this is my family right here. This, this is a family that goes a little bit deeper than just flesh and blood. And as we would understand this today, as we're talking about like the spiritual family of, of Jesus, right, we're beginning to see these three different teams, if you would. You've got team physical family of Jesus, you've got team scribe, and you've got team Jesus, okay? And as we see these different teams, we're beginning to see what they are all about. When we're talking about team Jesus, uh, in this picture, we're talking about those disciples. Uh, in, in our lives and in all practicality, we would say that Team Jesus are those who have heard the gospel message. We have heard that Jesus went to the cross, that he bore our, our sins and our transgressions, that he, he died on that cross. He went in that tomb for three days, and then he goes resurrected, and he came back from the dead, and he manifested, or he showed himself uh, to all the people there. He gave instruction, go make disciples. Uh, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he then poured out the Holy Spirit that we would be empowered to do what he has called us to do. And so if we are those who would believe that right, right there in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we are a part of this Jesus family, of Jesus' spiritual family, of Team, team Jesus. And so if this is our team, what, is, what does that look like? 
And so we've got three main differentiating factors here in, in the text that I just want to spend a little bit time breaking down. What does Team Jesus looks like? The first one is this. Team Jesus does the will of the Father. And it says it directly here in verses 34 and 35. It says, as and looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. He's saying, this is Team Jesus right here. Verse 35, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. So this is Team, team Jesus right here. And here's what we look like. We, we do the will of the Father. Now, what Jesus also is doing here, he's making a contrast between Team Jesus and Team Physical Family. And so let's, let's take a peek of what does Team Physical Family of Jesus look like? What do they, they do? Back in verse 21, it says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize Jesus. For they were saying, he's out of his, his mind. He is, he's loony. Now, unfortunately... This is not an uncommon reality. If we look at the way that we as Christ followers would interact with those around us, our family, even our physical family, those who have loved us even as, as a child, when they look in, so if our physical family are not followers of Jesus, let's put it this way, and they look at the way that we follow Jesus, it's probably fair to say that they might just say, you're crazy. You're, you're a little bit crazy. Why? Well, Paul says in Corinthians that uh, the ways of God is foolishness to those who believe. And so when you follow the ways of Jesus, sometimes the world and other people who don't follow Jesus are going to say, you look a little bit crazy. And so it's just a, a fair expectation, right, that, that we may encounter that. A side note, uh, because there's been really, really terrible teaching um, on, on this aspect of it, what Jesus is not doing is saying automatically when you give your life to Jesus, you scrap your physical family. I've heard that taught. I've heard that taught a lot. And that's not what Jesus is, is, is teaching here. It's important to recognize just, again, the sovereign work of, of God to have placed you in in the family where you were grown up at and the family of your, your origin. God has used some of those things, whether they felt good or not, God has used those for your benefit. God has used those experiences to shape you. And so within those original families, there are some redemptive aspects to it. And who knows, if you haven't experienced those redemptive aspects yet in, in relation with, between you and your physical family, let me lay the expectation out, right? Let's get hungry that we would have an impact on our physical families. If we've got, if we've got family members who are not following Christ, we could be the, the influencer. And I just, I would, I would pray for that on, on a, normal, a normal basis. But here's kind of the reasoning why uh, physical family has this limitation. It's uh, their major limitation is that they often see who you were, not how God is, has used who you were to shape who you are. So in other words, physical family often gets stuck on who they knew you to be, not the new you. 
right? And so it's a similar concept to the reason why Jesus would say a prophet is without honor in his hometown. Because they've, they've seen you grow up, right? They've seen Jesus grow up in, in, in that area. And, and they're saying, well, he's, no, he's a carpenter's boy, right? And so it, they're stuck on this past understanding of their identity and missing who they are right, right now. And as Mark gives this account of, of Jesus' family, it's not necessarily in a totally negative light either. It's not like they were, they were totally in, in the wrong. It, it feels, um, as, as Mark is communicating this, it, it feels kind of like a neutral point. Yeah, they think he's crazy, but we don't see much of the motivation for, for why they're doing this. And so I've, I've just been considering, like, perhaps they could have been just afraid for Jesus. Like, if, if he keeps doing this, he's going to ruin his ministry, He's going to ruin his, his influence, so we've, we've got to stop him. Or I, I wonder if, like, in other places in Scripture where people, like with Peter, right, where he was embarrassed to be a part of Jesus' ministry, embarrassed to be one of his, his disciples, I wonder if his family in that moment was kind of feeling just embarrassed. But what differentiates physical family from spiritual family you know, the colors that cause them to stand out different from, from the, other, the other teams. Um, one makes decisions by relying on physical feelings, on physical sight, on uh, physical processing, And right? So they're, they're, whatever they're feeling is motivating them to say, we've got to stop Jesus. Okay, that's what team physical family does. They're, well, hopefully they're out for the best in what they would perceive to be the best for that person. The other makes decisions based on processing the physical, so the facts that we see right here in, in our life, with, with God. And so we take what we're seeing, and then we hold them before God. God, what do you think of this situation? What do you see in this situation? What are, what are you expecting through this, this decision? And so we see these teams begin to be forming. I remember I've got this fond memory of, of my dad. It starts off not so fond, but becomes a fond memory. But I remember when I gave my life to Jesus, it was this radical turnaround of my life where God took this drug-addicted young man, this violence-addicted young man, and set me free and began giving me visions of going into ministry. And at that time, I was pursuing a future in the medical field, and my dad loved that. Because uh, it seems to be a stable, a stable field, right? And people are always having physical stuff going on. And so, yeah, be, become a nurse or become a doctor or something like that. And I was like, okay. So I go in that direction. But at some point, there became a fork in the road where I've got to choose one or, or the other. Which one am I going to go in? And I felt like God was pointing me into the direction of, of ministry. Now, my dad at that time was not so happy about that at all. And he, he basically said, this, this is not a very good idea. You're, you're being foolish. But I knew in my heart that Jesus was calling me to walk into ministry. And so I, I do that. And what my dad was, was doing was communicating from that physical family point, point of view. What's, what's best for, for my son from what, I, from what I see, from what I see in society around me? He's making those types of, of decisions. But then he came back to me a couple years later, and he's like, Ben, you know when you made that decision? 
you made the right spiritual decision. You made the right spiritual decision. And it was just that moment of seeing that differentiation how, and how easy it is for us to function in, in the flesh and function according to physical because this is what we're used to. But in our new identities as followers of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of God, now we have the option of taking the facts that we're seeing in our life and holding them before God and say, what do you see with this? What do you feel? What, and, and what should I be sensing from this? So Team Jesus does the will of the Father. Team Jesus also is, number two, is, is unified. I know this is fairly simplistic, but it's important to, it's important to note. It says in verse 23 that he called them to him and said to them in those parables, he said, how can Satan cast out Satan? If the kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an an end. And so the overarching point is that a successful team must be unified. And if Satan is going to attempt to be successful, is a part of the point that Jesus is making, he's got to be unified. And so this basically is saying, your point doesn't make sense at all. Um, I love how Matthew takes us into just a little bit more detail and helps us to gain this understanding on the opposite side of the spectrum for for us, that we, as Team Jesus, need to be unified. In Matthew 12, 30, he says, uh, as as a continuation of, of this story, it says, whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And it's this whole important idea that you've got to pick your team. You've got to pick your team. Are you on Team Jesus? It's important to, it's important to, to know. And here's, here's kind of the picture that I, I get with, with this. I picture kind of like a plane, right, just, just a, a field. And you think of like a car driving on, on that field. When we're in forward motion, first, second, third, fifth, fourth, I forgot fourth, Fourth, fifth, sixth gear, we're, we're driving forward. There's propulsion taking this in a spe- specific direction. Obviously, we know if we were to throw it in reverse, it could be interesting to see, but that would force us in the opposite direction, right? Now, the thought that we often have is if I'm neutral with Jesus, that I'm just in an okay place because I'm not coming against Jesus. I'm not putting that backward momentum on what Jesus is doing. But think about that car in motion. If we're in neutral, is it being going this way or is it actually slowing it down from, from getting there? And so this neutral position is actually slowing down the motion and slowing down the momentum. This is kind of the picture that Jesus is, is painting. Neutral is, is a negative position. And so the invitation is pick your team and pick team Jesus. As you consider uh, this, this passage, you've got team physical family and think about what they're doing. Are they attempting to push Jesus forward or to slow his ministry down? There's got to be one person who gets it. Slow it down. Slow it down. Yep. Okay. I should have done the... Uh, the easier question first. But what about Team Scribe? 
Are they attempting to put Jesus, push Jesus forward or slow it down? Slow it down. And so we see how these different teams are, are taking their, their stance. And as we would consider just the importance of unity within the body of Christ, you think about the multiplication from this point, right? We go from the 12 disciples, then we move on to the 77, and then um, when Jesus finishes his, his earthly ministry, there's 120 left in that upper room, right? And then from there, after the day of Pentecost, there's thousands that give their life to Jesus, and then thousands more, and then it moves from continent to continent to congregation to congregation to all over, over the world. And here's the question, are they all supposed to look the same? In some aspects, yes. In some aspects, no. I was hoping to get like a f- real big fight going on right down the middle here where this side says yes and this side says, says no. But it, obviously, we're all on the same mission. Jesus gave the mission to the church that we would go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the mission for all of the church. But how we go about doing that is a little bit different depending upon the specific mission God has placed on that that church. And so here in this city, there's a whole bunch of different churches. We're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to glorify Jesus. We're trying to make disciples. We're trying to transform this this community. We're trying to grow people in, in, in Jesus. But we're doing it in different ways. You've got different different styles. You've got different different leadings and Different body parts doing different movements. And so this is the way that God has created it to be. And so as we think about unity, obviously you've got to be unified in the mission of Jesus Christ, you, you personally. But then there's also an importance to unity with your life and your home church. In the unity, in being a part of what God is doing in, in your home church and being unified with that, with that vision. And then there's also being unified, uh, at least having an understanding of how your church is unified with what Jesus is doing in the region, right? Ensuring that we're all going in that same direction. And Joe, I would just prompt you, think about how your life is unified in the ways ways of, of, of Jesus. Let's go to the third point. Team Jesus stands in victorious Authority. We're going to slowly move towards a closed worship team, if you guys could come. Um, I was really feeling something uh, from the Lord from uh, that last song that we were singing, uh, Came to Our Rescue. If we could go back to that, um, that would be great as, as we do close. But uh, Team Jesus stands in victorious authority. And so let's look at the different teams. We've got Team Physical Family, and what happens with them? Well, they're, they're sidelined. We've got Team Scribe, which ultimately um, is Team Antichrist, and we know how that ends, right? There's victory over that, um, and, and then that leaves Team Jesus, and Team Jesus is victorious. Why? Because we've got the authority of, of Jesus. I had this special moment this, this week. We're struggling with one of our kiddos in um, being able to, to sleep in the evenings, and so I got to hear um, Mama Bear Alicia just speaking over one of our young ones and just saying, listen, if, if you have fear at, at any moment, 
you have authority over that. You get to claim authority over that. And you say, you need to leave now in Jesus' name. And you can believe and trust that that is going to leave because Jesus is victorious and Jesus lives in you. And I'm just sitting here like around the corner listening to her fire up our kiddos. I'm like, come on. I needed that. Babe, can you come here and just speak this over me? Scream it in my face. <laughs> I just want to do a little bit more, more digging here. It said here in verse 26 that if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. In verse 27, he says, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed his house may be plundered. And in Matthew 12, it gives us a little bit more information into this picture once again. And it says that before this interaction took place, there was a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute and was brought to Jesus. And right then and there, Jesus heals him. Cast this demon out. And this man is, is whole. And then come the, uh, or this man is, is whole and freed from these demons. And then the accusation comes that, oh, Jesus did this from the power of Beelzebub. And then after making his comments about basically stating your, your argument is, is dumb, it makes no sense, you're absolutely wrong, Jesus makes this comment in Matthew 12, 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, in other words, he's, he's making a declaration. These demons are gone. This man right here is free by the, by the Spirit of God. I have cast this demon out. And if this is the truth, if this is what literally just took place right before your very eyes, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying, look, the kingdom of God is right here, right now. Take a look. And then he goes into those comments about the strong man. As if to say, the kingdom of God is here, and this is what it looks like. There once was a strong man. He had a house full of prized possessions, but he's bound now. Now Team Jesus gets to plunder his prized possessions because we have his always victorious authority. And you, got, you guys got to see this. This really... This really pumps me up. Uh, uh, what Jesus was showing me here was, was so cool. Think back to that demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and consider why he was like that. Well, from this text, we can understand that the reason he was like this is because Satan utilized his power over him and then took him and put him in his treasure chest. And Jesus goes... Not today, Satan. The kingdom of God is here now. That means I'm binding you. And the guy gets healed and set free. And so I want to I quickly just go back for, for this illustration. If I could get you back up here, Pastor Nick, just to help me out. Again, this, this is going to be a, um, just an illustration. I'm going to be Team Jesus, which means you've got to be 
uh, team, team Satan over there, but the, there's, there's no reality to this, but just for illustration's sakes, uh, so we have an understanding of, of what's going on here. And so again, I'm going to have Paul and Karma. Um, here's, here's what takes place. God creates the heavens and the earth, forms man in his likeness, and in doing so and placing humanity there, he's saying, this is Team Jesus right here. And so would you guys come over to Team Jesus? And as we have Team Jesus right here, it's all going well. And then Satan shows up as a serpent in the garden. You stay over there. <laughs> and he, he tempts Eve. And Eve gives in and Adam and Eve sin. And in, in doing so, open up sin to all of mankind. And so what, what takes place is now Satan now says, well, now they're my possessions. So you guys have to go, go on over there. It's always the woman, I'm telling you. Just playing, just playing, just playing. Oh. And as this is taking place, there's a plan that God has put in place. And Jesus shows up on the scene. I was going to take one of the cords and wrap you up, but we'll just say, we're wrapping you up. Jesus comes and wraps you up, and he looks at these people over here, and he puts a new identity on them and says, this, 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 this. These are prized possessions, and I'm here to take them back. And so we welcome you right back on over. And this is the illustration of the time that we get to live in right here and right now. Jesus is calling each of us his prized possession. He's saying that you can be set free. You don't have to live with things, these things anymore. You can lay it down. You can have freedom in your life. It has been paid for. The invitation is is come on over. Come on over to Team Jesus. Amen? Hey, thanks again for tuning in with us today. I really do hope and pray that this message has been transformative in your life to help you to take steps in relationship with Jesus. If this has been a blessing to you, there are several things you could do in order to give honor where honor is due. Uh, we would love if you would give us a like, go ahead and give us a subscribe, go ahead and share us, tag us, uh, quote us, do all of those things in your social media feeds. We would be so blessed by that. If you have any more questions or need any more information about who we are, what we believe, or if you'd like to give towards the forwarding of ministry here through Rise Church, you can do so at www.risechurchid.org. God bless. Have a great week.